Um, so uh, many, many years ago, when I was in college, actually, um, uh, there was a, a, this uh, conference call, called Urbana. Um, so it is a, I don't know if you guys heard, have heard of Urbana before. It is basically geared towards, it's a little different now, but back in those days, it was uh, really geared towards college students. Um, so it's organized by this Christian organi organization called uh, InnoVarsity, and they would hold every three years, right, uh, this uh, student missions conference. Um, and it was held at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, so I think that's why it's called Urbana. And um, so I heard about it when I first went to college, and so, you know, during the time I was kind of, you know, I was like, okay, I want to be part of something like, you know, something like this. And so I signed up, and it was, it was not a small feat at the time, because, you know, you, you don't really have money, but look, back in those days, it was like, you know, hundreds of dollars, right? That doesn't even include, like, transportation and all these things. And, but anyways, I went, along with uh, some of uh, the friends, that, uh, some of the people from our campus fellowship, went, um, heard good things about it, but I didn't know what to expect, went there. It was an eye-opening experience. It was um, like about 20,000 uh, people, college students from all over, like in the US as well as other parts of, uh, of the world, they would just come together to, at this one place and I was just floored, right? I've never seen that huge like gathering um, of 20,000 college students, right? of all color and race and, you know, like status. And, and it was just like, my just jaw just dropped. Because you only hear about things like that, but I've never experienced it. You know, growing up in a Korean church, I only saw, you know, other Koreans. And I've never seen that many people gathering together and in this huge, you know, like uh, arena. And um, uh, from the first, um, I just, I was, uh, I was overwhelmed even by the scale diversity and everything, but what really like got to me was just the worship, right? Uh, from the very first time we were singing songs, right? It's just like, uh, it's just different, right? But instead of like hearing like 40, 50, 100 people singing together, as opposed to like 20,000 people, right? Like young people just like me at the time just singing and just worshiping God together. And I, you know, because growing up in a Presbyterian church, you know, I was very, like, reserved and very traditional. And I've seen people, like, raising their hands. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? Um, it was just an uh, eye-opening experience, but um, it was just an unforgettable uh, experience for me, just seeing people being challenged by missions and living for God and just seeing like fellow college students from around the world coming together and worshiping God together, hearing what the speakers had to say and just praying together, right? Um, it was just an amazing experience. And that really like caught my eyes and it really like started something different. It's just, this is different, like just seeing that God is bigger than that what I've known, just I would put God in my own context in the box that I've built for him. And this is how far he would work. And, and as if, you know, God was like, God is for, you know, just like one specific ethnic group. 
it was just like all over the world, just seeing the scale of how God is to be worshipped. That was an amazing experience. You know, worship, in essence, is really the expression of our reverence and adoration for God. Right? Whether we eat or drink, we are to do it for the glory of God, acknowledging his gracious provision and our indebted uh, indebtedness to him. So, you know, we had, we just finished uh, the discipleship group on work. And one of the things that uh, we talked about in discipleship was that, I know like people uh, had some questions and struggles with like, what does work have anything to do with my Christian life on, on Sunday? You know, we tend to have this uh, dualistic understanding, you know, sacred versus uh, secular, right? Like Monday through Friday, it's like kind of like it has very little to do with, with God. And it's on Sunday morning that we come together. And this is what Christian thing we, we are to do. But then once, you know, Monday comes around, right, and just going through all the meetings and the projects and uh, dealing with difficult, uh, you know, clients and whatnot, right, these things, what does it have to do with worship? And so or isn't, isn't work really about just uh, you know, just getting, just trying to just, uh, trying to meet our ends, right? Um, but, you know, we talked about how even work is to be an extension of our worship, that we are to work hard and uh, with diligence for the glory of God. And we are born to worship the God who created us. We are meant to have this loving relationship with him. Therefore, Worship is a central element of our existence and purpose. It is really the, the bedrock of anything that we do. We are called to be worshipers of the living God. Ironically, even though it is foundational, it is worship that, that you know, has a, that, that, that has a, a that, that we have, where we have a crisis, right? It is it, I mean, more serious than the pandemic, or even the inflation, I don't know, like we all of us like are concerned about, man, this like, have you seen like the, the, the eggs, right? I mean, like Grace is like, hey, we need to have more eggs. I'm like, you know how expensive this a dozen of egg is? eggs are? It's just like, and so like, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, we got to look at like, we check our, check our checkbook and concern is just an inflation. Or even now, like, you know, now there's a more and more like legal, legalization of the cannabis, right, around the states. And I think Maryland, I think they just voted, right, uh, to legalize the, you know, the casual, uh, leisurely use of cannabis. And all, more serious than all of these things is this um, really comes, when it comes down to it, is our flawed understanding uh, or attitude toward worship. I mean, it is really a broad subject. But today, we just want to consider a more specific and focused aspect of worship, our corporate worship, our Sunday morning, our regular gathering, Sunday uh, worship service. In our, survey, uh, our Sunday worship service is not just a you know, Christian social gathering. It's not just a weekly routine of getting together to go through this prescribed religious you know, ritual. Right, we just come into worship service, close our eyes, sing some songs, and, and you, know, you, know the, you know the rest. That's not what uh, worship service uh, is to be about. It is to be a participatory uh, worship where everyone in worship is, is fully invested, engaged, proactive, 
and really involved. I think, you know, today's church has um, too many, you know, spectators nowadays. It's almost like, you know, bench warmers or like the cheerleaders. You know, there's actually a book uh, called, uh, where, you know, that the church has, uh, now Christianity has so many, like, fans of Jesus, right? That, whoa, yeah, Jesus, let's go. Yeah, we, we cheer for you. We root for you. But not enough uh, disciples and followers. You know, I think uh, on a typical Sunday, outside of um, embrace, that is, outside of embrace, on a typical Sunday, a lot of people, right, uh, in the service sit through the whole thing. Um, you know, their physical bodies are there. Right? They're there. Their bodies are there without their minds and hearts being fully engaged uh, in, 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 the, in the worship. Uh, so sometimes we sing songs that may not be, be like really like um, questionable, and yet we sing songs because it's you know projected up there. Uh, so I remember like uh, once again, I'm just keep going back to some old days. Like there was um, this song called. It's a fun song. It's like Satan didn't like it when when he came out of wilderness, when Jesus came out of wilderness, kind of thing. So like, and there were some like fun motions to it. Um, so like, even in, even in our college years, right, a lot of people, because there's some fun motions to it, and it was almost like a children's song. I don't know what we even sang, but, you know, because it's like a catchy, like, you know, this uh, melody and all those things, so we did all that followed, and aha, it was like we were having fun when we were singing songs, but then if you just stop and think about it, the song is about like how Satan didn't like when Jesus, but the, the focus, it was always about Satan didn't like this, Satan didn't like that. I mean, why are we singing a praise song about what Satan didn't like, right? Um, so it's at times we don't, and it, I, it never like entered my mind, why we, are we like singing songs like that, right? At times we sometimes do things because we are used to doing things, right? That our minds and hearts can be absent, even as we worship God. And that's a wrong way to worship God, right? Just kind of for, for people to basically sit back, watch, daydream, and then kind of simply go with the flow. Because you cannot really worship and honor God that way. Consumeristic worship is the opposite of the participatory worship, right? People who have, the, uh, the, have consumeristic uh, mindset you know, ask questions like, so how do I like this worship? How do I like, do, do I like the style of worship today, right? Do I like the songs that are being played? Are they really old songs? Are they really hip, really new songs? Do I like the message? Do I like what he's saying up there? How long is the service? How is the program that this church offers? Those are the things that people, that the consumeristic worshipers would ask, right? The focus is on the self. Is it really in line with my taste? Or do I prefer this type of worship, the length or the, what they do in worship? What's in it for me, right? I think oftentimes because we live in such a pragmatic Society, right? The cost-benefit uh, ana- analysis is like so big in this society, right? So, by giving or spending these two, three hours on Sunday morning, uh, what do I get out of it, right? Is this worth it? What's really in it for me, and how does how does the cost 
or the benefit justify the cost or the, the price that I pay, right? Those are the things that people would ask. Not obviously, not outright, but in their mind, that's what they're thinking. What's in it for me and what do I get out of this for the price that I pay? Whereas participatory worshipers are concerned about their role in worship. So they would ask questions like, you know, how can I, what can I do to serve God? How can I serve him? What can I do to honor him at this service? Those are the things that the participatory worshipers would ask. Participatory worship is really about dedication of the self, of self. It's really about offering and giving. It's not about really receiving. Right? You know, the pandemic has made uh, the contrasting attitudes, right? these consumeristic and participatory uh, worship, these attitudes, even more pronounced. Because, you know, because of the, at the height especially, there was the offering of virtual service. And that really made you know, people get used to the idea of staying home. And so now it's making people even more, um, it's making people attend church even more less, right, than ever before. But it, it used to be so convenient. <clears throat> so now, uh, you know, um, so then what are the, uh, the characteristics of the participatory worship? I mean, what makes a worship participatory worship, right? So we're going to look at uh, today's uh, passage. So today's text is in the context of the temple dedication. So David really wanted to build a house for the Lord, but he was not allowed. God said, no, don't do it. The task was assigned to his son Solomon. And during his reign, he completed that, this tall task. And so he, uh, when, when the, the temple was finished, he gathered all the leaders, elders, the priests, and dedicated the temple to God. And this passage and the following record what Solomon says, what, you know, what he prays and what he says. And the first thing that from this text uh, that we see is the participatory worship takes place when we appreciate God's uniqueness and his closeness at the same time. Verses 12 and 13 says, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to, to dwell in forever. Solomon here talks about how God is far above anyone or anything in the universe, he says that God is dwelling. He would dwell in thick darkness. What does that mean? What's it got to do with anything? What does that mean that God would be dwelling in the thick darkness? I thought, we thought that a God is a God of light. Why would he be dwelling in a thick darkness? Right? Does that, does that even make sense? I think what he's talking about here, it means that no one can really see God and live. That's what it's really talking about, that because of our uh, sinfulness, that we cannot stand in the very presence of God and live. So that's how we explain that it just he's us in a place where that he's not reachable. And yet, 
in the same verse, at this, uh, right after that, he still speaks as if God is near us, building an exalted house right in their midst in Jerusalem. Right? Is, was, was Solomon high when he talked about this? Like he's saying that he's in the thick, you know, dark cloud, and yet he's like, we have built a place for you. What? What's he talking about? Theologians talk about God's transcendence and imminence. The transcendence, uh, trans- transcendence of God refers to the truth that God is the matchless one, that, and that there is no one like him. He transcends, just, above, uh, just rises above everyone else, that he's in a completely different category all by himself. He's not even in the same uh, spectrum as us. It's as if like, we are in the same continuum, and then you know, God is way up there, and we are way down there. We are not even in the same category. Qualitatively, right, uh, we are in totally different. We're, he's, the total, he's totally the other. Right? He cannot be compared to anything or anyone in all of creation and in the universe. He's incomparable. That we cannot even begin to compare God to the sun. Right? Oh, the sun is like, you know, I've heard so many messages on God, uh, you know, uh, comparing God to the sun. God is, sun is like this glaring. We cannot even look at, look at the sun direct with our naked eye and then just, you know, we're going to just go blind. That's how great God is. Well, you get the point, but you cannot even compare God to something like the sun, right? God is matchless. He's incomparable. That's what we have to come to understand. And yet, imminence of God tells us that he is right here with us. As transcendent as he is, he's not unreachable or aloof. You don't have to look far to find God. Through the Holy Spirit, God even indwells us. And even in our worship, as we sing praises, as we even listen and give our, heart, give our ears to, to what the Lord has to say through his word, or even as we pray, God is here with us. God is with us. We don't have to look far. You know, the first astronaut who traveled to the outer space, so back in the 1960s, there was this uh, race between the United States and the Soviet Union at the time. Uh, they wanted to just, because it was at the height of the Cold War, and um, they wanted to show to each other, to the world, that they are better, they are more advanced, they are more powerful. And so they got into this race to get, to, uh, to get out of the, the outer space, you know, the, the, um, to the outside of Earth, right? And so there was a race that actually the Soviet Union at that time, they won, and so they actually was able to shoot uh, this uh, spaceship in a way, um, and the, the astronaut, that he actually orbited the Earth once, right? And then came back down, and so he became a national hero. And that, uh, that the Soviet Union astronaut, being an atheist, he famously said after his return that he did not see God out there. Because, you know, that, you know they th- he thought that, or the, because he, saw, you know, he heard many Christians say, our Father in heaven, where is heaven? Up there. Right? So beyond the, the, the clouds. And so 
they, they, he, he thought that the God was out there beyond the, 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 the immediate, like, you know, the heavens, heaven, right? So when he went out there, out into the space and saw, you know, uh, out, out in the space, he didn't find God. And basically he was implying that there is no God, right? You say that God is out in, uh, God is in heaven. I, I was out there in heaven. I did not see him. He thought that if God was real, real, then he would have been out there in space. He's not far out in the spatial terms, right? He is, he is with us. He's transcendent. So, so that's the amazing thing about God, that God is transcendent. At the same time, God is imminent, right? And Solomon knew that the temple could not house God even though in verse 13 seems to suggest that, right, that I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to to dwell in forever. Because he, but he knew that that's not really, um, you know, that he could really, God could not be contained in a house that he built. Because, you know, actually in verse 27, we didn't, uh, do we have that verse? Yeah. So right after, right after he said that, in the next breath, in verse 27, he also says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. So Solomon understood that even though he built a temple that's dedicated to him, and asking God to dwell in there forever, he also knew that God cannot be contained. God is not this, you know, uh, figure that can be contained in one specific place. God is transparent, and God is imminent. When we appreciate how transcendent and unique God is, and at the same time, how close He is, how He's imminent, He's right here with us, right, even right in our hearts, the God of the universe. It's right with us. When we really truly appreciate that and understand that, the participatory worship takes place. Even at that time in Urbana, just kind of realizing how great God is, and yet through and through, we just sense the presence of God. It's as if like during that time as we're worshiping God, as we're hearing and just praying together, and I've never like just with one mind, 20,000 people praying together. It wasn't like we were just praying out loud or anything, but just, you could just sense that there was this, the common, commonality and just one purpose with which we were praying for the evangelization, uh, for, for the, the people that are lost out there, where there are even places where missionaries are not even allowed. Right? It was just like, So just how great God was, and at the same time, I just felt like God was right there listening to my prayer, everyone else's prayers. It happened because there was that understanding of transcendence and the imminence of God that was taking place. And the second thing that we see is the participatory worship takes place as we remember and acknowledge God's faithfulness and promises. Verse 14 says, Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel, 
while all the assembly of Israel stood. So you could tell, like, right, everyone that was gathered, right, they all stood, and you could tell they were, like, just ready to worship God. And, and he leads them in prayer and a convocation. And, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he, has, what he promised with his mouth to David my father. Right. All the assembly of Israel stood and worshipped God along with Solomon as they recalled God's faithfulness and fulfilling his promise. You know, left to our devices, we're very insecure people, right? We are so often, we are worried, we are worry warriors. We are confused. And other times, we are like really full of ourselves, right? I mean, that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a mean thing to say, but it, it is true. At times, we are really full of ourselves. One day, we feel good. Next day, we feel horrible. It may not even take a whole day, right? 24-hour period, right? To go through this roller coaster ride emotionally and just how good we feel at times, but that the next moment, we're like, oh, right? We get so discouraged. Throughout the day, you know, a lot of things happen. Deadline, fast approaching, and your boss is on your case. You know, your coworker is not really pulling his or her weight. Right? You get really frustrated. Your family member is saying something very hurtful. Right? And you know, the stock that you bought is just crashing. Like you're seeing this red you know, arrow just keep going down. Or your car breaks down just when you need to go somewhere. Right? I mean, when it rains, it pours. I'm not saying it happened to me, right? Maybe some of you are saying, hey, is that what happened to you right now? Are you just kind of going through some issues right now? Like, what is wrong with you? Did, is it like you and Grace, is something happening? No, 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 no. It's not like that. I'm just saying as an example, right? I mean, you know, when it rains, you've gone through that experience. When it rains, it pours, right? You know what it feels like? You know, and oftentimes our mind is just racing all the time. I don't, at times, it's, especially when we pray, right, with our eyes closed, and all of a sudden, like, you know, our mind is, like, racing with all these things that you have to take care of. I, I think it really is part of a spiritual battle, too, like the enemy is trying to distract us, right? But our mind is racing, and at times you are just so scatterbrained, right? We have just so many things that, to take care of from early morning, from the moment you wake, wake up, right, to the morning you just, like, crash, right? There are so many things, so you get so scatterbrained. And I know when I talk to some of the moms, they're like, yeah, just, I got this, like, you know, mommy brain, and just, like, you just can't concentrate because there are so many different things that you have to do, especially if you have young children. And you get so frazzled, right? Many distractions. And there's a lot of angst, even in our worship. And you cannot really worship God like that. How can we offer up a corporate worship with our collective mind fully on board then? It is when we acknowledge, when we remember to slow down in our neck-breaking pace that we live in, to acknowledge and remember that God fulfills his promises. Being reminded of his faithfulness galvanizes us into this genuine, heartfelt worship. You know, our fragile and really fickle minds 
need reassurances because we are always not sure. Am I really, how am I doing with God? Am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? Is God happy with me? Is God pleased with me? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm at a point where I'm at a fork. Should I take option A or option B? I don't know. Our mind is all over the place so often. Even as we worship God, the only way that we can really come back to our senses is to recognize, slow down, recognize, and remember and acknowledge that God has been faithful to us. And remember that God's been fulfilling his promises. You know, I did some just uh, thinking uh, on my own towards the end of last year. It's like, End of 22, so you're just thinking, thinking about what, this, uh, what that, 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 that year, you know, what transpired and uh, some of the things that God has done. And I'm like, wow, God's been so good, even though I know I don't deserve, right? A lot of the graciousness, the goodness of God that he has done, I'm like, I certainly do not deserve that. If I were God, there's no way I would bless me with the kind of blessing that he has given me with, Right? God has been really faithful to us. God's been really good to us. Even though at times we may feel like, God, what are you doing? What are you really up to? Can you just make it clear to me? Or can you do this for me? Please? One time, this one time? But when we really think about how good and faithful God's been to us, considering how uh, fickle we've been in our lives, then we can, as we gather together and remember and talk about, share, then this participatory worship can take place. One thing that I love about um, when we were doing discipleship group was just the time of sharing. Like, you know, I had a privilege of, like, you know, because we had two groups, one in person and one virtual, and just like hearing, right, what God's been doing in their lives. And how good, you know, what God's been teaching them. Those things, oh, man, it, it really, it encourages me, right, so much. Because we remember the work of God, what God's doing in our lives. And as we share, I don't know about other people, people in, I think they were thinking the same thing. Hearing what people, what God is doing in their lives, it encouraged all of us so much. And it really just, uh, you know, want, want us to, like, worship God more. Right. You don't even have to manipulate people to get excited when this happens. I remember, like, when I was in seminary, like, uh, there was like a, was like a citywide in Philly, like a citywide like youth rally, right? It was uh, happening at this one big church, <clears throat> and then, you know, like during the, the the worship time, all of a sudden, I saw one of the guys. I guess he was one of the leaders. He's coming, walking down the center aisle, right? He's, come on, God, let's, let's just praise God. Let's, and he was just like, you know, clapping. And I was like, you, pray. I mean, just worship God and clap. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is he doing? He was, I, I mean, I understand his uh, intention is to get, because, you know, there were like, you know, many different youth groups coming together. It's really awkward. And, you know, some people are not used to, like, clapping. But, I mean, is that the way to really excite people? He was, a, he was going up and down the aisles. Come on, let's just praise God and just come on, let's clap, clap. You, you clap. I'm like, come on, right? You don't need to 
somehow just generate this excitement, right, for you to really worship God genuinely. If your heart is fixated on the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and how God's been so good and uh, He's been so faithful in uh, fulfilling His promises, right? When you know that, then you cannot help but worship God with your mind fully engaged. And uh, uh, the last thing that uh, the, the characteristics of uh, the participatory worship is that it takes place in a physical place gathered in God's name. Verse 17 through 19 says this. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build a house for my name. Notice here that God actually commands David. You did well. You had it in your heart, right, to build a house for for my name, right? Good, good, good for you. So he commands him for his, for his desire to build a house for him. He did not say, well, David, you got it all wrong, right? Why would I need a house, right? You think I could be actually containing that one little location? I'm a god of this universe. I don't need that. You can worship me anywhere, whether it's in the streets, out in the field, or up on the mountains. You can worship me anywhere. Why would you want to build a house? That's totally unnecessary. It's meaningless. That's not what God said to David when he desired to build a house for him. Many Christians make a mistake of going to one extreme or the other. Some people care so much about the physical building that it really consumes them. So I have a friend uh, out in, uh, in Texas He's serving at this mega church, over like 5,000 people, right? It's a church um, in this particular city. It was one of the oldest churches, right? And so probably the, says it's the first pres, right? First Presbyterian church of that city. So it has a history of like 150 years, right? And he, 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 when he is in a, he's a pastor there, so he, he sits in this um, meeting with the elders, and he says he dreads going to these uh, meetings. And I was like, why? He says, because when, especially when it comes to budget meeting and things like that, it goes on two, three hours, right? But they are, the, the elders, they are arguing over, like, the, 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 the color of the carpet, what kind of color that they should replace it with, right? So, I mean, you know, they have their preferences. Um, so they're just arguing, they're just going back and forth, back and forth. And they're just, you know, and some of this, like, equipment that they have to renew is, like, millions of dollars. I mean, it's like they, they got, you know, they're such a huge, like, budget, right? So, I mean, of course, when you are spending, like, so much money, you have to be very careful. And I'm sure, you know, Sean knows exactly, right? You have to be very careful. But... Man, so he, he gets so discouraged being in a church where the elders, all they think about is how to upgrade uh, yeah, the carpet, the paint, 
what kind of maintenance they do, and they spend hours and hours thinking about those things. And they barely ever talk about pastoral concerns, like how can we shepherd our people better? These are like CEO of this, like some big oil companies and whatnot. But that's how they operate. Some people are so much into this kind of actual physical building. Other Christians, they go to the other extreme and disregard the importance of attending an in-person service. I don't really need to actually attend a service. I can, God, I can worship God virtually, especially these days, right? I just listen to my favorite pastor's podcast, right? And that should be good enough. I love Jesus. He's my Lord, and that's all that matters, really. Why do I need to actually go through, uh, go through all, uh, why bother with attending an in-person service when I can worship God? the comfort of my home. But scripture makes it very clear that God intends to, and God wants to build a local community of faith. You know, while the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, you know, God gave very detailed measurements of the tabernacle, you know, because they had to go from like place to place for 40 years. So God, through Moses, gave the dimensions of the tabernacle. And if you think about it, because, you know, if you actually read through, you know, like uh, if you're in this like New Year's resolution, just reading through the Bible and starting from Genesis, and usually it's, when you get to, Genesis are full of stories, and so it's like, people don't really have issues with that, but when it gets to, to the, the, the middle part of uh, Exodus, that's when a lot of people get stuck, and I, it, it happened to me all the time, because that's where like God actually gives specific dimensions, right, of the tabernacle like how long it's supposed to be, the, the shape and all that. And you guess, like, I used to think, man, what's it got to do with, any, why, why would God even give dimension? Who cares, right? Just build, build a tent, right? God did not say, well, everyone worship me in your own tent, right? You don't need a central gathering place, right? Just worship me where you are. Just be with me in your spirit, you know, in your spirit, and just wherever you are, right? It doesn't matter whether you lie down or just like, you know, eating. Just worship me where you are in your own tent. That's not what God said. God gave him very specific dimensions and the measurement for the tabernacle. It is pleasing and precious in God's eyes for his people to gather together physically and worship him. Corporately, there is a participatory, I mean, a physical dimension to the participatory worship, not just the spiritual one, right? Physical presence of the worshiper is indeed called for, it's needed. So be on time, people, for our worship service. And we are trying to facilitate our worship to be as participatory as possible. I don't know if you guys noticed, you know, like we kind of made some, we tweaked some things. And so even like scripture reading right now, like instead of just a pastor just speaking, we are um, week to week, we are just, I'm just asking people, right? Setting up people so that, hey, can you this week, you got to comment, you know, just like have someone else even uh, speak. Uh, I, I would just read the scripture. 
Um, you know, we even just do greeting time so we can, instead of kind of like, you know, uh, go through the, sit through the service and never like looking around or just saying anything, you know, we are encouraging people to just come and greet, right? I mean, we are brothers and sisters. Might as well get to know each other, right? From this side of the world instead of in, in, in eternity, just you know, greet one another. Um, so, you know, we're trying to, to have people more involved, but it, even listening to worship, uh, to this message, you are to sleepy, fully engaged in this time of worship. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> there is definitely this aspect of the worship that pleases God, where we physically gather together, and we are to just continue gathering together to worship God. Um, I'll just end with this quote from William Temple. I thought this was a great uh, quote. He's a late Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, basically, that position is a senior bishop of the Church of England, just like you know, Pope is you know, the, the highest person, the rank guy in, 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 in the, among the Catholics. And this is what he said. He once defined worship as, yeah, quickening, quickening the conscience by the holiness of God, right? Our conscience being quickened as we remember, uh, just think about the, how, how holy God is and feeding the mind with the truth of God, which we seek to do every week and purging the imagination by the beauty of God as we behold how beautiful he, God is, the beauty of God, right? It will purge all these impure like imaginations with it, or just unholy imaginations that we may have. And worship is opening the heart to the love of God. We only really get to really open our hearts when we fully realize how precious and how love, how great uh, the love of God is for us. And devoting the will to the purpose of God. And that is really what worship is about. And the participatory worship takes place as we seek to understand this. We are at the, very, uh, at the very core of our being, of the reason why we exist, is to worship God. So may this worship be the kind of worship that we offer to him together. So let's go before the Lord and let's pray. Let's take a moment to uh, just come before him and... Um, yeah, let's um, offer our hearts before him. Yeah, let's even uh, in our minds imagine uh, your heart being offered to the altar of God. As God sits on his throne, looking down on us, and he, his eye is on you.